0: Life with diabetes has some highs and lows, but just like in a normal life, you can make choices which help to make your life easier, improve your health and well-being. In the Diabetic and Healthy podcast, we show you how to do just that. We're here to help you put your diabetes worries behind so that you can start enjoying life with a sky-high smile on your face. So let's meet our host for today's show. Here's Charlotte.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Diabetic and Healthy podcast. I do hope everybody is well. I'm Charlotte, your usual host, but the tables have turned this week and it's actually me being interviewed. Interviewing me is my very good friend, Steve Witt. Steve, who's also a fellow podcaster, is an entrepreneur whose drive, focus and determination has led him to create grow and run highly successful businesses. So this is Steve helping you learn a little bit more about me.
2: Okay so this could be the strangest interview we've ever done but we'll give it a go. So I'm interviewing Charlotte on her own podcast uh, to find out a little bit about um, her history and her journey with diabetes. So I guess I've known you for a couple of years now. How long has it been?
1: uh more than a couple uh, uh fifth no 13 years 12 so, 13 years maybe
2: since i was about 10 then
1: sure yeah let's go with that we'll go
2: with that so okay. i've obviously watched you along your journey i've uh, seen you along the way and um what's with interest your your diet habits, your fitness habits, and everything in between. And bizarrely, I've met quite a few diabetics along the way, uh, and seen how they've done it. So I thought it was a good opportunity to have a chat with you about your journey. So if we go right back to the beginning, if Mm -hmm. that's okay, if you can remember about that far, um, when were you you officially diagnosed?
1: I was officially diagnosed very shortly after my 18th birthday.
2: So that was a few years ago now. Not, any, not, any more
1: digs? No, any more just, digs? just, we, just for ref, reference for everybody
2: else, <laughs> that's all. Um, so officially diagnosed just after 18th birthday, but when did you first start knowing something was wrong, feeling ill, whatever the correct sort of terminology is?
1: The um, The first time I knew something was wrong, I was 13 years old. Um, And I can I can actually pinpoint the exact day because we went on a school trip to Germany, um, but it was just a a, a day trip for a Christmas market or something. And I started to feel really unwell. And obviously, I just thought I was coming down with a bug. But it was from that day that I never really got better.
2: So. You say it felt like a bug. Um, mm-hmm. and Did that come and go? Did it stay on I mean, five years before you officially got diagnosed? That's a long time. What? Yeah. How did that manifest itself? How did you start feeling ill? Try and sort of paint a picture for everyone listening.
1: Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I thought I was getting a bug. I just felt, um, you know, when you're getting a bit of a temperature and you just know something's not right. So I, I remember the ferry trip on, on the way back from Germany was not a – fun one because i was feeling pretty sick at that point anyway um and as you can imagine if it was a christmas as it was a christmas market it was in the winter so it wasn't the smoothest of crossings Um,
2: and you're only 13 so clearly it wasn't the alcohol
1: and no 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 alcohol involved Um, so yeah I, i just thought i was i was getting a bug i'm the next day i was just extremely tired had no energy and from there, that kind of continued and escalated. So, um, a running theme was the lack of energy. So, originally, I was diagnosed with glandular fever. Um, it, I think it was maybe uh, they thought that was a bit of an obvious diagnosis, just because it was it was going on um, for a few weeks at this point, and I I was just it was just this extreme fatigue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, glandular fever. And then as it continued, they said, um, no, actually, it's ME or, or what is now known, I think, as CFS. So chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, the frustri- frustrating thing about that is there is actually no official treatment for it anyway. So it was kind of a bit of you've got this. There's not much we can do. Go away. Um, <laughs> and that just continued. Obviously, had a massive impact on my life because I just wanted to sleep all the time was, was the main thing. Um, and then everything just started to get worse. So I had I had a lot of nausea, um, and due to the nausea, I then got a lot of anxiety um, about going out and being in busy places because I always had this fear that actually I was going to get in a public place and I was probably going to be sick. <laughs> um, and then I got some of the things which I now know are really, really obvious symptoms. So um, extreme weight loss. So overall, by the time I was diagnosed, I had lost about three and a half stone. And what were you to start with?
2: I know you shouldn't ask a girl her How weight, rude. I,
1: <laughs> I was about nine and a half stone and I went down to six stone.
2: So that's pretty uh,
1: extreme. Uh, yeah, and I... I mean, I'm just under five foot eight. So, yeah, six stone is massively underweight.
2: And how far into this sort of five-year period was this?
1: Um, I would say I struggled to gain weight. Um, I I was always, I'd say I was always slightly underweight. um, from, From when I got ill, I started to lose weight gradually. And then in the last few months, it just dropped off and i was kind of i'd say i was panic eating at that point because i was losing all this weight i didn't want to lose weight um and i was i was drinking weight gain drinks i was eating like five or six bowls of cereal a day it was really like i didn't stop eating I don't need any comment there, Steve, because I know you know I like my food, but this was like this was another level. Of
2: I'm muting myself right now just in case.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but were you being sick and getting rid of it or was it no, just No,
1: no, I wasn't getting rid of it. I was just eating and eating and eating and losing weight. You know, it sounds like the the world's best diet, but it was it was too much and um, then came this extreme thirst, and I think if you haven't experienced this, you really can't describe how horrible this is. Because you, you probably listen to me now going, "Oh yeah, I was really thirsty," and you think, mm, "Okay, like that's not that bad." Yeah. But this is a thirst that you cannot quench. Like I was drinking about forty pints of squash a day. Um, that's pretty extreme. Yeah, I would go to bed at night and I'd have maybe five or six pints of squash lined up on the bedside table and it didn't matter how many I lined up there, I still would have drunk them all before I went to sleep. So So I'd I'd go downstairs in the night and I'd drink milk and I'd drink like fizzy pop and I'd drink water and it was like desperate to quench this first.
2: And were you still going to the doctors at this point or at what point do you think this really isn't quite right?
1: I was I had been going to the doctors throughout Um, and unfortunately for me this was just down to a case of a really bad doctor and and I obviously in hindsight I should have asked to see a different doctor but at that age I think you just listen to what they're telling you you just believe them they're the expert And, you know, if it was now, obviously I'd question it. But at the time, um, I just listened to what they said.
2: So at what point then did did you actually get a diagnosis of being diabetic?
1: I had uh, been away on holiday and became so extremely ill that I pretty much said goodbye to my parents on the phone. So i was you know i was not in a good way i don't know why i went on holiday i was ill all the time so i think i just got used to being ill all the time but i'd gone on holiday um i went to corfu there was a heat wave just to help matters it was about 45 degrees um and my mouth and my throat became really infected and i wasn't able to even get water down so in that heat that was quite a big issue um so I was, you know, I saw a doctor at the hotel and was on really strong antibiotics. Um, I got home and, you know, my parents just looked at me and were like, no, this is not, like, this is not okay. There's definitely something really wrong with you. Um, and I saw a different doctor. I went for surgery, got, I kind of got an emergency appointment, saw a different doctor, and that afternoon I was rushed into hospital. So it was literally just a case of seeing someone else and them going, you know what there's definitely something wrong with you and we're going to do loads of tests and if those tests don't find it we're going to do more tests but you know trust me we'll get to the bottom of this and I remember that being a massive relief.
2: So how long were you in hospital for?
1: I was only in hospital about a week they're very keen to get you home and doing your injections by yourself and yeah, just getting into a routine with it, really. So it was it was a week, so it was quite quick, really. Um,
2: so how quickly did they diagnose you once you were in hospital?
1: Oh, they they had diagnosed me before I got there. All right. I I had blood done, uh, blood taken when I saw the doctor.
2: Yep.
1: Um, and she automatically did did a blood sugar um, amongst other things, and I got a phone call that afternoon. Um, it was a really bizarre phone call, actually, because. Uh, it was a doctor, another doctor, but I knew not the one I'd seen, but one that lived locally to me. And he rang and he was saying, Charlotte, are you, are you really thirsty? Are you really tired? You know, all these things. And I was like, well, yeah, I've been saying this. Um, and he said, oh, can you just, just pop your mum on the phone for me? (laughs) And what I didn't know at the time, because obviously they didn't want to panic me, but he basically said to my mum, you need to get her to hospital as quickly as you physically can, because we don't know how she's still walking around. Um, your blood sugar should be between well between four and seven is perfection um and mine was reading over 40 at that point
2: and how long did it been like that do you think
1: um i don't know i i suppose in a way it would be unlikely that that it had been like that since i was 13 because i probably couldn't have kept going that long but it must have been something that was creeping up um and then obviously got more extreme towards the end
2: so um for anyone who's missed the story so far what's your official diagnosis uh
1: type 1 diabetes
2: and what percentage of people suffer from type 1
1: uh 10% so oh out out of everyone that's diabetic 10% yep. type 1
2: right okay so you've been diagnosed you've been to mm-hmm. hospital they've taught you what to do at this point in hospital
1: um to begin calls. with it was just a case of getting my blood sugars down to a safe level um literally every doctor i saw was just stunned that i was talking to them and holding a conversation with them because they said that um i had something that's called dka which is um diabetic ketoacidosis um so long scary word but what it means is where my body wasn't producing insulin so you were saying, like, where was this food going? Was I being sick? Um, it's actually that your body can't use it correctly. So instead of it going in and being used for fuel, it just circulates your body. So it just it just circulates your your bloodstream. Hence, right. you know, blood sugar. So it's for it just turns into sugar in your blood. Um, so your body starts breaking down all your fat and then your muscle um, to try and find some kind of fuel um but that creates an acid in your blood um called ketones and that's what what diabetic ketoacidosis is, basically your your blood becomes acidic
2: okay so it took 5 years for you to get diagnosed is that common is that what most people experience no
1: no not at all so it's uh, type 2 potentially yes because type 2 um everything's a bit more gradual Type one, because the symptoms are so extreme and it happens quite quickly, it's normally picked up within a few weeks.
2: Okay, so you're you're very special in that respect? Yes. So <laughs> yeah. You've been to hospital, you got diagnosed. How mm-hmm. quickly did life change for you? Back back um, to normal? Uh, what, what what happened next?
1: It was pretty immediate because uh, I remember that my my overall feeling was relief. Um, just just that someone had said, you know what, this is what's wrong with you, and this is what we're going to do about it. So I wasn't um, I wasn't sad, I wasn't upset about being diagnosed with diabetes at that point. I was just pleased I had been diagnosed with something. And then I think I kind of went into autopilot, and I just I listened to everything they told me. I tried to do everything by the book um it just took over my life and it was just a case of every day trying to manage this condition and do my injections and work out what I was eating and do enough exercise and yeah it just just kind of it took over from day one I suppose
2: so I know it's only a few years ago but think back to when you got diagnosed um Uh what were you thinking feeling at that time you know now that you had been given a label and you knew what was wrong with you obviously sense of relief but Mm -hmm scary or did you think life was over at that point because you've got diabetes or what, what were you thinking
1: not initially not initially I think as I said I kind of went into autopilot and I just wanted to I just wanted to get it right I was just um, quite fixated on you know they give you all these scary statistics statistics about what will happen if your blood sugars aren't perfect so you're kind of really striving for perfection at that point and it wasn't until i say maybe six months down the line or thereabouts, that's when it actually hit me. And it was like, I woke up one day and thought, wow, this isn't like I'm doing this until I get better. Like, this is it. This is it forever now. Um, And that was was probably my lowest point. That was a really scary time because I don't think I'd accepted it until that point.
2: And what did it take to overcome that? I mean, that that sounds like, quite a daunting experience, that realisation that for forever you're going to be injecting yourself every single day, multiple times per day, and, you know, you're not going to be uh, normal, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, yeah, that's how I felt. I was never going to be normal. This this was me now. Um, I had a lot of other things going on at the same time in terms of I had some, um, some other things happen when I was diagnosed. So, for example, I lost all my hair, Um, so, you know, 18 year old girl with long blonde hair going to bald girl with, (laughs) with no hair was, was not great. Um, so that definitely hit me quite hard as well. Um, so yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't a good time, you know, all these kind of realizations coming and I wasn't sure if my hair was going to grow back. So that was another thing I was stressing about. Um, but then in my head, I think I just... I don't know, I just thought, I, this is not productive. Like The way I'm feeling about the condition is, is not going to change it. It's, it's with me whether I stress about it or not. So the best thing I can do is become an expert on it. And I just thought, how can I manage this condition if I don't know enough about it? So I then kind of, I suppose, changed, decided to put my energy into learning more about it so that I could look after myself.
2: So I I think that's quite inspiring and I'm sure there's a lot of people who think wow that's pretty impressive but how quick did that sort of mental change come about? Was it just a click of a finger or did it take a while for that realisation to come about?
1: Um, I'd say it was a it it was a few months of being very low um, I'm not gonna lie of, of thinking why me and you know why diabetes and just hating it every time I had to do an injection and then it really was like I woke up one day and thought no I can't like I can't let myself go down this road and feel sorry for myself and you know there's there's so many more terrible things that you could have and, and could have to deal with and like I said, my mindset wasn't helping my situation, and getting stressed out about it—if anything—is it was making my blood sugars a lot harder to control because stress has a big impact on your blood sugar levels. So, yeah, it was like a big moment of uh, this. This is not the right road to go down. And I need to. I need to learn about this condition.
2: And how were your sort of friends and family during this? Were they supportive? Did they understand it? Were they sort of? Did you know um, what was going on?
1: My, my parents were again very relieved, and I think initially they were just impressed with how I took it all on the chin. I didn't moan about it, and I just got on. But as I said, that was because it was it was coming later. It just actually hadn't hit me yet. Um, but yeah, they were they were just really relieved that I had a diagnosis. I think so they'd obviously seen me deteriorate so much. Um, friends didn't really get it. Um, And I didn't at that point, I I didn't want to bore anybody with it. I I didn't want to tell them about it and try and explain things. It was just a case of Charlotte has to do injections now. And that that was it, really. Um, I specifically remember one friend laughing when I told her I was diagnosed with diabetes and she just laughed and said, oh, well, you're not going to be able to eat chocolate anymore. Um, And that was quite a kind of typical reaction.
2: How little did they
1: know? eh? How? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did have very close friends. I just didn't. It was like I didn't want to bore them with it. So you know, it was just, oh yeah, Charlotte's got diabetes. She has to inject herself now.
2: So let's jump forward to today. You're, a, I've written down in my notes, you're a type one sufferer, but. What is the correct? How do you describe yourself? You're you're just a diabetic. Is it a condition, a, an ailment, a disease? What's the correct, or how do you like to be described?
1: Well, I know that the the politically correct way of saying it is a person with diabetes. So rather than saying a diabetic, so yep. it's the same with like epilepsy. Apparently, you're not meant to say an epileptic. You would say a person who has epilepsy. I. I'm not precious about what I'm called. I don't mind at all being called a diabetic because I am a diabetic. Um, I don't say I suffer with diabetes. I say I have diabetes. um, And it is, I think, officially it's a condition. So it's actually an autoimmune condition.
2: Some big words. What does that mean? (laughs)
1: Um, It's been recognized as an autoimmune condition because the um they they've worked out that the body basically attacks the insulin producing cells so it is like um your immune system turning against you some way
2: interesting yeah. so you're a, you're a podcaster talking about diabetes you've got a support network yeah. a website facebook pages everything does that mean yeah. you've mastered diabetes
1: no <laughs> never <laughs> no and that's that's kind of a point actually um because I don't I don't think I don't think there is perfection I I don't think you can master it as such um I'm just I've just found a good way of living my life with diabetes I, I, I don't think you can get perfection because what you're trying to do in effect is you're you're trying to mimic a a really complicated process that your body should naturally be doing um so unfortunately it doesn't matter how hard you try you're never going to mimic that perfectly you're never going to do what your body should be doing for itself perfectly but you can still live a healthy life with diabetes And, and that's kind of what i'm trying to get across
2: so i know you fairly well i've observed you watched you been a friend for years mm-hmm. um so i know you have good days and bad days which is sort of yeah. the point to get across as much as you you know you've got your podcast and you're a big support for people who are um who have diabetes mm-hmm. um you know it's not perfection is it there are good days and bad days so what yeah, does absolutely. what does a let's start of a bad day what does a bad day look okay. like
1: What does a bad day look like? A bad day. The worst days start with a hypo. Normally, that's never a good start. So if I wake up in the morning very confused, very sweaty, sorry to be gross, (laughs) um, (laughs) everything's in a bit of a fog, and then you think, oh, Yeah, it's a hypo. (laughs) Um, So that's never a good start to the day. So that involves going downstairs normally and getting a glass of Coke or eating dextrose. Um, But often, it, it, it then just doesn't set you up right for the day. So it's very easy to over treat a hypo and then your blood sugar spikes and you end up kind of chasing your tail. And I can have days where my blood sugars will just then yo-yo throughout the day. You're trying to find some kind of balance and they're going up and down and up and down. And it's just exhausting. And, and you get what I call a hypo hangover. So after a hypo, it, the only thing I can compare it to is a hangover. You're in a bit of a fog, like everything is more hard work. Um, it gives you a terrible headache, and you know life goes on. And if you if you've got a busy schedule, trying to manage your day and do what you would normally do with your blood sugar is bouncing up and dropping down, and bouncing up and dropping down. Like, yeah, that that's what a bad day looks like. <laughs> a bad day is exhausting, and and those are the days it is really hard to stay positive as well.
2: And how frequent are those days?
1: Less and less. To be honest, the more I, the more I learn and the more I try to live a healthy lifestyle, um, the less those, those bad days become. But I mean, you know, earlier on, they're, they're pretty frequent.
2: And how is it for people around you?
1: Oh, I feel sorry for them.
2: <laughs> so do I. <laughs>
1: Shall we ask you this? How is it for the people around me, Steve? Um
2: I would say it's absolutely fine because we know you now. Yeah. I think in the early days it would have been um, confusing as much as anything yeah. else, <laughs> um, thinking you're just a grumpy so and so. But yeah. no, uh, knowing it's it's not you, so to speak. It's um, I think it's, it's never an issue, and it it seems to be a lot less frequent these days anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Plus we know That's how to avoid to, you.
1: Good to know. Sorry.
2: Plus we know how to avoid you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just avoid me on those days. It's probably the best advice I could give. Find Charlotte on a bad day, leave her alone.
2: (laughs) So, they're less and less frequent. What's a good day like then?
1: Um, A good day, I would say, is when I have a really, really busy day and my diabetes doesn't interfere with that. So, obviously, I still have to keep an eye on my blood sugars and obviously I have to do my injections. But when it's doing what it's told, it doesn't interfere with my day, like at all. Like I'm managing it, but it's like it's running in the background and I'm still able to do everything. And I've got energy and I feel healthy. And yeah, that's a good day.
2: So you must know quite a few other people who who have diabetes, either type 1 or type 2. How do you mm-hmm. think you compare to them?
1: I I don't think you can compare i think everyone's experience with diabetes is very unique um everyone's diagnosis is very unique the way people feel about it is is very unique i i don't i don't think you can compare one person with diabetes to another because it's like anything i think we're we're all just very very different
2: and i know you've accomplished quite a lot over the last few years what would you say is your biggest accomplishment accomplishment uh, because I think it's quite important to share that with people who who might be sort of new to diabetes and think that's it I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. sufferer now so uh, yeah they've labeled themselves and don't realize that life does not need to be that much different so yeah what's your biggest accomplishment
1: my biggest accomplishment I would say is having my son um so I have an 18 month old well done. nineteen month old now uh called Arthur, and he is by far my biggest accomplishment because um well, even without the diabetes, I didn't actually think I could have children, so it's a big accomplishment from that <laughs> side of things, but with the diabetes. The way they drill it into you about the control that you have to have during pregnancy to ensure that you have a healthy pregnancy and that, you know, your baby is healthy. I just thought this is like an impossible task. Yeah. <laughs> this is not, a, but, but, you know, the, the control that you have to have is unreal. And it is at a level where for that period of time, it does take over your life and, and you really have to put everything into to controlling your blood sugar. Um, so the fact that I did that and I had a beautiful, healthy son at the end of it is, is by far my biggest accomplishment and
2: other accomplishments,
1: other accomplishments would be completely different to that. So that's like an overall life accomplishment. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, what I'm going to say is I did a, well, I didn't do one. I actually did three bodybuilding competitions.
2: So I mean, I think that's a a pretty big accomplishment for anyone, let alone someone who's got to be so mindful of what they eat, drink, and, you know, always being so conscious of everything Mm -hmm. to achieve what you achieve there was pretty special.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: Because that's not just an overnight thing, is it? I mean, that's a long drawn out process.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, I mean, for each competition I did maybe a three or four month bulk. So, so you go into bulk and you, I won't bore you with the details of bodybuilding, but you go into a bulk where you build lots of muscle. And then I did like a three month cut where you basically do everything to strip off your body fat so that you can see the muscle that you have built during your bulk um, so yeah it's it's a long process and and there's a bit like with diabetes there's a very small margin for error so you're 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 weighing everything you're eating at certain times you're working out at certain times you're yeah it's full on
2: so there, <laughs> Again, obviously you, I was... you knew
1: me while I was doing this so you're aware how full on it actually was
2: totally but honestly, I was leading you down that path to say that because um I think it's it just shows what's possible for anybody but the um I mean I'm not saying it's easy to do that it's very much mental conditioning as much as anything else isn't it
1: oh 100% yeah 100% and I think you know this the <laughs> the main reason I did it was because somebody commented saying you know I was I was basically saying I'd watched a program on it and found it fascinating, like that that people could get this control over everything and, and, you know, sculpt their body. And I just found it all really fascinating. And someone just just, you know, blasé said to me, oh, but you couldn't do that because you're diabetic. And that was enough. That was just fuel. (laughs)
2: Which is brilliant. And, you know, I think you also became a, a physical trainer as well, didn't you? So, you know, the yeah. whole process has been sort of life changing for you, which is fantastic. It doesn't yeah. mean that you have to go out and, and do the bodybuilding and be full on sort of into your fitness. No, but-
1: absolutely not. And there's actually, I I really want to talk about that in another podcast, actually, because there's loads of reasons I would say don't do that. Um, I'm not saying it was the process was a positive thing. It was a big achievement that I did it. But um, the main thing is I learned so much from it, from the process and from the competing.
2: I guess that's part of what you want to share with people on your podcast. and
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, fantastic. I think that brings us pretty much up to date. Any, um, well, just one last question. How strict are you on your diet and fitness these days?
1: How strict am I on my diet? Fitness has changed very much since having my son. So as you know, I used to train about six times a week. Um, I get to the gym when I can get to the gym. But in between that, I try to be as active as I can be. So, um, I, I've mentioned actually in a previous podcast that lazy days are the hardest days to control my blood sugars. So I do try to be, try to be active. Um, Diet-wise, I have one rule, and I don't diet. So I don't, I don't do diets. Um, I don't deprive myself of any specific type of food. So. You know, everyone has a completely different relationship with food. But me personally, I know from past experience that for me, deprivation actually leads leads to binging. If I kind of strip out food and say, I can't have this, I can't have that, then eventually I will eat that and, you know, much more of it than I should.
2: <laughs> so it's OK um, to have a good bar of chocolate every now and again.
1: It is absolutely okay to have a good bar of chocolate
2: and that's where I think we should end this interview because end <laughs> on a high for me but thank you very much it was fascinating to learn a bit more and I dare say we could keep going for ages talking about this because I think your story is pretty inspirational and I dare say we can uh, ask you more questions later
1: absolutely thank you
2: Okay, so I've learnt lots, including a good bar of chocolate is um, okay. But let's end on top three tips you give for anyone who's just been diagnosed to help them maintain a normal life, let's say, uh, and possibly their sanity as well.
1: (laughs) Probably the hardest one to keep initially, because there's a lot going on in your head. Um, Top three things. I would say become an expert because that was that was kind of the the game changer for me um i don't i I don't mean actually go out there and get like a you know medical degree in diabetes or something but ask questions and, and and learn and join online communities and talk to people and listen to your diabetes team as well because as much as we can all fall out with our diabetes consultants sometimes they do actually know what they're talking about as do the nurses. So I just think yeah, you you can't um, you can't manage a condition that you know nothing about. Um, okay, secondly, I would say don't expect it to be perfect. So if you strive for perfection, you're just gonna get really, really frustrated. You could literally, Do the same thing every day and eat the same things every day and inject the same things every day. And your blood sugar still wouldn't be perfect because there's so many variables that we cannot control. So don't beat yourself up. No one's expecting you to get it perfect. Just do as as well as you can do. Take it day by day and just be kind to yourself. Um, Third tip. Okay, so a practical tip always carry hypo treatment everywhere like i have various handbags all of which have a packet of dextrose in them or some gluco tabs um and at home i've always got um like coca-cola in the cupboard but yeah even if you're literally just popping out always make sure you have hypo treatment with you
2: brilliant very useful and a whole um interview has been inspirational so thank you very much for that i've learned lots um and i hope everyone else has too <laughs>
1: Okay I hope that gave everyone um, a little insight into my own personal journey and hopefully a bit of an idea as to why I started Diabetic and Healthy. If you have enjoyed listening please do hit subscribe and until next time have a happy and healthy time.
0: This episode has ended, but your journey towards a healthy and happy life continues. Head on over to diabeticandhealthy.com and join the conversation with other diabetics and their families. All the information in this episode is not designed to replace the advice from the health professional team looking after you and your diabetes. Before making any significant lifestyle changes, do consult them with your doctor.